when you have a lot of success at first, yeah, uh, that can be really detrimental for a lot of people yeah, and why? to have the slow climb. Why? Because it gets you prepared mm. or almost expecting mm. to have consistent exponential growth. Mm. Yeah. So once things level out and you start ticking at a normal pace, you feel like it's disaster. Yeah. Right? Mm. So like, yeah, I just feel like that's kind of true in any field. Like if yeah. you have a big success at the beginning, then yeah. normal success after that feels like failure. Yeah. What's up, y'all? This is Jono. Welcome back to Four in the Morning. Uh, this is a podcast about hope, right? Life is lived at the intersection of honesty and hope. You don't have to choose one. You can choose uh both and that voice that you just heard was my good friend andy minio and i'm excited for the conversation that we get a chance to invite y'all in today um just a little bit of a backstory that'll help frame this i was in a conversation with my friend lucas this past week as he's just been trying to help me to refine things for this podcast and as i explained to him the goal what i'm trying to do each week uh he gave a tagline that we're going to use for every other week except for this one he said oh john basically what you're saying is every morning begins in the dark and i said yes absolutely every morning begins in the dark four in the morning that's what we're trying to do here and i say that's the tagline that we're going to use every other week except for today uh because there's always an exception to the rule right um, what you find is that there's a few places on earth where the sun shines abnormally long at certain times in the year, right? So in Sweden, if you go there at certain times of the year at four in the morning, uh, the sun is shining real bright. Same with Finland. Uh, Finland sometimes has up to 72 hours of sunlight at one time. And what you find is that although it's sunshiny all the time, um, there are still depressed people in places that are full of nothing but sunshine, right? So even if the general population is painted as uh, people that are happy and yodeling or whatever else they do in Finland and Sweden, um, people of all dispositions live there. Even in places where the sun is always shining, it's possible to be depressed. And that's one thing we learn about depression. It's deceptive. Depression makes you think that it only comes for people who live in valleys whose, whose lives have fallen apart. Uh, but that's not the case. We're ready to face that kind of depression. And we even have an anesthetic of sorts where we can say, all right, things are bad now, but things can only get better. So that naive hope can kind of numb us to the pain that we feel right now. Uh, but there's a different type of depression that comes, one that feels a little more hopeless. It's one thing to be depressed when you're in a valley, but what's it like to be depressed when you're on the mountaintop, right? It's one thing to be depressed when your life is falling apart. It's another thing to be depressed when you have the life of your dreams. It's a different kind of hopelessness that doesn't give you the same uh, easy way out. And that's what we're going to talk about today. This doom called safety. Uh, Andy gets a chance just to talk about what it's like to have this exponential career growth and then find yourself at a place where you know something isn't right. So join in on the convo 
Uh, I hope at the end of the day, you feel free to be both honest and hopeful. You don't have to choose. All right. Peace. So I got signed in 2011 and I dropped my first album in 2013. And uh, that was that was a cool success. You know, a top 10 album in the country came out. Uh, 2014, same thing with Neverland. Um, I did almost the same exact numbers as that first album the year before, but with only digital sales because it was a quick EP. So yeah. if we would have done digital and physical, I think it would have even more. So that was another top 10 album. And then 2015, I dropped Uncomfortable, and that was another top 10 album. Um, uh, and then I got my first gold plaque came in from a song, uh, You Can't Stop Me. Yeah. Uh, and then I've gotten a chance to tour, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, tour the world, uh, played in Australia. Uh, I've played in, you know, London, uh, London, Germany, um, New Zealand, uh, geez, all over the place, all through the Caribbean, all through the States, Canada. Yeah. Um, I wish someone would book me in Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, uh, Switzerland, Sweden, gotten to go all over the world with my music. Um, I've sold almost a million albums uh, oh, collectively. That's crazy. Um, just with like my music, which is, you know, and, and music, this whole thing, you know, you start, make one song and it could go. And, right. You know, but, uh, you know, and I've been able to make a career out of it for the last, you know, nine, 10 years and just right. like make music and yeah. buy houses and pay all my bills and provide for my wife and my family. So. And, and, you know, never, like, it's been a long time since I've had to, like, go buy something and be like, let me check my account to right. see if I can do Jeez. this, you know what I'm saying? Which is such a yeah. nice feeling, because all through college and stuff, it was like, where are we going to eat? Right. Let me double check, you know? <laughs> right. So, uh, but yeah, I've been able to do that. I've hit, I've gone on Sway in the Morning multiple times, Freestyle, BT, Backroom Cyphers, MTV, Rap Fix, um... I've been in all my favorite hip hop magazines, Double XL, The Source, you know, whatever, name them. So I've got a chance to do all that, uh, be a part of a global movement right. of 116. So, I mean, we did a tour in Africa. We did six countries in Africa. And I remember uh, getting off the plane and people were waiting there with like signs and the blowhorns, like yeah. the soccer blowhorns, yeah. and like welcoming us with flowers and dances and stuff. And it was like, right. 116. Right. You know, so it's like, this movement is like a global thing, you know, everywhere we go, we see our artwork tatted on people's bodies. Um, yeah. So it's a significant following. Um, There's not many people in the world that can say, I set out to do these things in my genre or in my field, and I've reached the proverbial mountaintop of yeah. my yeah. field. And I think you have, and there's a small few folks that have done that. Yeah. And most folks would think that, yo, the times of deepest darkness yeah. come before all of that. But from what I know of you and from times that we've talked, yeah. it's uh, when did that time of deepest darkness come for you? Yeah. No, I feel that. Yeah. And it was like, even as you were saying that, it's like, uh, I've been thinking a lot lately with COVID and like, I can't tour anymore. Right. You know, right now, I've just been thinking like, Yo, if I couldn't ever tour again, yeah. like what would I feel? And I almost feel like this peace about it mm. because 
I'm like, what else is there to do? Right. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, dog, I've played arenas. Yeah. Like 50,000 plus arenas before. You That's know? what I'm. I've played, we've sold out venues that I've seen my favorite artists in. Right. You know, like, uh, like, um, like in LA, like some of those shows and in Texas yeah. and playing like, um, the, the names are slipping me right now, but I'm like, cause it's been so long since I played. Right. Venues. Right. But like the Palladium. Yeah. I remember we sold that out in like 20, 12 or 13 or something like that. And they were like, the last person to sell this house was Jay-Z. And we were like, what? what? You know, it's just kind of bugged out stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I've been thinking about, you know, if this thing ends, like, I'm kind of cool with it, too. Right. You know, because we've, we've done a lot of cool stuff. But, um, you know, there's this album from uh, DJ Khaled, yeah. who... Um, who he named it suffering from success mm. <laughs> and you know he's just like super funny right. with his but i was like yo that's actually there's really something in there yeah like suffering from success yeah um which sounds super pretentious and funny right but um what i would say is that like when you're talking about the darkest times uh for me what i realize is this in hip-hop music particularly like 30 is like 100 Right, Being 30 right. years old is like, you might as well be dead, right. you know? And that is like the beginning of careers everywhere else. Right. So, you know, hip hop is like 18, 19, all the way up to like 25, people want that. Yeah. And then and then now I think because hip hop is maturing and growing, it's just like there's different audiences. So right. you have the Kanye's in their 40s and Jay in his 50s and people right. are still like, I want to hear this, but it doesn't uh, cater to the, the younger generation. Right, so right. it's growing and changing and evolving, which is dope that everyone's got a little slice of their pie. But uh, I remember Trip Lee said it one time, he's like, why did I choose a career where being 30 is like, you might as well be a grandpa. <laughs> right. Why did I do this, right. you know? Um, and so what I realized too is like, when you have a lot of success at first, yeah, uh, that can be really detrimental for a lot of people yeah, than why? to have the slow climb. Why? Because it gets, your, it gets you um, prepared mm. or almost expecting mm. to have consistent exponential growth mm, yeah so once things level out and you start ticking at a normal pace you feel like it's disaster yeah right mm. so like you know uh yeah i just feel like that's kind of true in any field like if yeah. you have a big success at the beginning then yeah. normal success after that feels like failure yeah so um I think in my career, it's it just continued to uptick really, really fast. Right. And then, you know, I was, I was kind of coasting at like a normal speed yeah. of growth. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like yeah. not a thousand followers a day or two thousand followers. Right. Or, or, you know, not as many album sales per day. And also the music industry changed from right. going from album sales to streaming. So there's right. like a lot of changes and it just felt like, oh my God, this is the end. That's right. Yeah. And it was really like... Andy, you're, you're can, you can sell out shows. Right. Like, you make a living off this. Like, it's not that bad. But I was like, no, but I'm not. I don't have the cover of a magazine. Right, like, right. So it can get really kind of goofy. And also in your 20s, you're trying to figure out who you are, what right. your life is about. Like, you're trying to, yeah, really figure out what your identity is. Because uh -huh. at that age, uh, I mean, this can be any age, really. But you're trying to figure out if what you do is who you are. Mm. Um, 
And I think that's one of the things I've had to learn through this career. And one of the things that drove me to my darkest time was when I felt like my career was no longer upticking at an exponential rate. Right. It felt like failure. Mm. It felt like I was going backwards. Yeah. And I wasn't. It's just the the lack of perspective yeah. really drove me to this place where I was overworking, overstressing. Right. Because now, and, and I said this in my underdog talk, which was the underdog, the person who had people have no expectations of them, yeah. um, has the freedom to fail. Right. Because no one expects anything. So you drop something and nobody likes it. It's like, whatever, I'll just drop something else right. and keep going. No one's listening anyways. Yeah. Right. But when you have three top ten albums drop in the course of three years, and then everyone's like, All right, do it again. Do yeah. it again. Do it again. And I'm like, oh, this is my window. This yeah. is my time. I gotta capitalize on it. All of a sudden, you start thinking about the songs you make and mm. what you create, not as these fun expressions of yourself yeah. like I did before, but now it's like, oh, this has to uh-huh. this has to be more than that. So do you feel like success like killed creativity for you? It definitely impeded it, for uh-huh. sure. What do you think was the like, clearest picture of that, or the time that you can look back now and just say, yo... I remember vividly, this is when I felt pressure and a death inside that I. Yeah. So it was when I I snapped one night, like I had a full emotional breakdown at the end of 2016. And I was, this is so funny, right? I was getting ready to go on an arena tour Yeah. and I lost it. You know, like if you just think about that in context, that's so funny. It's like, you're about to play arenas. Right. And then you're also stressing out to the point that you have like a, a breakdown. Yeah. So um, I was, rem- I remember like I had to put together my set and I needed my set to be perfect. You know, I was mm. like, I-, I got this amount of time. I need the video and the lighting because it's going to be on like Jumbotron. Yeah. Like I needed all the work out. And I, once I turn it in, I can't go back because yeah. changing light and video and all that stuff, it just makes it very complex yeah. to change anything. So I was like, I have to get this right and perfect and timed right. Mm. And I remember like, I felt my body stress, like, yo, you need to stop, right. you know, relax because you're, you're overworking. And I was like, no, I'm going to push through, I'm going to push through. And I remember I worked for like 12 hours sitting in front of that computer trying to work it out and stressing yeah. over it. And I literally stressed myself into a breakdown. And I remember standing, like my heart, I was sitting there working and I had this like warm, almost like burning sensation come over me. And then my heart started pumping. It felt like something snapped in my head. Dang. And I remember standing up and be like, like shortness of breath, like, yo, what's going on? And yeah. I was like, oh my God, I think I need to take a break. Yeah. And I think it was like panic attack versus meets like mental breakdown. And I remember I was like, let me try to take a shower because I can't get my heart rate down. So I was like, let me put cold water. And I jumped in the shower. And I remember it was almost like I couldn't control my thoughts. It was like just such a negative thoughts and feelings overwhelming me that I remember getting in the shower and talking out loud to myself, like praying out loud, talking out loud. Trying to combat the thoughts? Trying to combat the thoughts. Like, I'm okay. I'm uh, all right. This is, I'm going to be okay. You know, like. Yeah, were you. I was freaked out. Married at this time? I was was married at this time. Was Christina in the joint too? Did she, she hear it or was... I don't know if she was home. I don't think she so was So you were just by yourself? By myself. Time. Went into the Damn. shower, trying to calm myself down. This has never happened before. Yeah. And, um, you know, 
I got out the shower and it wasn't going away. Mm. And I just remember being like, this is so strange. Next day I had a show. So I had to fly out. I fly out to the show. And I remember just having this overwhelming sadness, like the entire time. I remember crying in like the back room by myself, just thinking about like, oh man, everything's changing. Like, you know, this guy's out with me on tour, but this guy used to be out with me. Like, see, nobody stays, you know, like all these overwhelmingly negative thoughts. And then I remember flying home or that night before I got on stage, I had to call my wife and be like, yo, can you just pray for me? Because I'm like falling apart. And I remember stepping outside and it felt like the world, like the sky was falling, like everything was collapsing in on me. It's hard to really explain it if you've never experienced it, but it is like a panic attack and your surroundings, like everything feels like you're under attack and like you're not safe and you are at high alert and panicked and afraid. Mm. And I remember her just trying to like pray for me over the phone. And I put, you know, I got off the phone and I got on stage. I performed and then I flew home. And when I got home, Christina had made me breakfast. My wife, I sat down at the the table and I just started bawling. And I was like, I don't even know why I'm crying. I don't know what this is. Because she was like, did anything happen? And I was like, no. Yeah. And I started researching what it was and what it was is that your body literally will start shedding tears mm. to try to release stress from your body. Yeah. What it's actually carrying. It's like it needs a, some sort of release. Yeah. And so like involuntary crying is, is a part of also your body keeping the score on stress and anxiety and fear and all that stuff. Yeah. So that, that was one pivotal moment that was yeah. a, an experience I'll never forget, which changed a lot of my life yeah. you know, for a lot of reasons. Mm. I hear now about what you went through back then, and it's like, all right, then how did you get from there to here? Yeah. Well, my wife immediately, she was like, I think you should go to therapy. Mm. And she has always been a uh, advocate for therapy because she's like, I don't understand what the stigma around it is. Right. Like, because I think it's, it's good for people the same way that you have a physical checkup you know, with a doctor, yeah. it's like, so your physical is your exterior, yeah. you know, like, and, you know, organs, but why is there no checkup or check-in for right. your mental and emotional state? Yeah. You know, we're just like, hey, yeah, you figure that out on your own. <laughs> right. right. Uh, and I think what we're going to find in the next, in the coming years is like scientific developments continue to move forward. And, and these re- in this research is like, your emotional state actually has probably more to do with with your physical state than like external circumstances. Your internal emotional and mental health actually affects that stuff. So she was like, she's always been for it. And uh, I was like, yeah, no, I understand that. And and this is where most people start with therapy is like, yeah, no, it's cool for (laughs) sure. No, definitely do it. Yeah, man. I don't judge. Right. But then they never do it. So, that was me. So yeah. I was like two years of being like, yeah, yeah, sure. I would, I would. Yeah. And then this is basically what I, I started with BJ Thompson. This conversation is like, how do you be healthy for life and not just start getting healthy when you have catastrophe happen? Right, right. right? It's like, I had a heart attack. I should probably start eating. Right, right, right. And it's like, why does it take that for yeah. people? 
But that really what it is 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 what it is. And there's research that shows like after 25 years old, basically, it takes traumatic experiences to cause actual change mm. in people because you kind of get set in your ways. Right. And so it was a traumatic experience for me. Then I was like, all right, I will finally try something. So this is yeah, yeah. 2017. All right. So 2016 a is later. a breakdown. Well, it was like December 2016. Okay. So it's like right around. Yeah. Yeah. And so then how long did you... Uh, it was like Existing. two months okay. I was trying to find right. therapy and all that stuff. Yeah. So I went and I actually tried two or three different people yeah. and I didn't connect with them. Mm. I tried a couple sessions and I was like, man, one guy ended up being a fan. Mm. I didn't know that. And then he like let it out and he's like, my kids listen to your music all the time. I was like, what? I'm out of here, right, man. Right, right. No. And then uh, another person, and these are these aren't like... These were like clinical. Yeah. These right. were like their own buildings in New right. York City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so that, yeah, that guy should get fired. Uh, but <laughs> then I met another lady and I, we didn't kick, kick it off. And then I found this uh, third guy uh, and then I really connected with him. But I almost gave up on the process. You know what I'm saying? Like I yeah. almost threw therapy all out the windows. I was like, it's not for me. See, I tried. Because of the first two. Right. But really what it is, it's like. Don't give up on working out just because you didn't like CrossFit. Right, right, right. right. You know what I'm saying? Like find the thing or the person that works for you. Right, yeah. And I found this guy and I was like, man, this is it. Because yeah. this dude gets me, we connected and he challenges me and it's incredible. So his name is uh, Jeff. He runs a thing called Tin Man Ministries yeah. out in um, Tennessee. Yeah. And it's just, he basically he works with high level entrepreneurs athletes entertainers right. and you know like olympic athletes you know trying to deal with like i won the gold medal and now i'm 25 yeah. i don't know what to do with my life yeah. you know and they're having this kind of thing you know the doom of safety just yeah I'm right on the mountaintop and i am depressed more yes. depressed than i was when i was in the valley he deals with super successful people right. that basically that's their whole thing it's yeah. like all right i run a billion dollar company and i'm falling apart you right know? right so he was in, he's incredible and he's a, still a friend today yeah. uh, after all of our work. But the work that we did together transformed my life. Yeah. What was it? I mean, yeah, granted, transformation is a whole host of things and we can't yep. pinpoint and say it was this. But like, what were some of the things that you felt like? These um, were some of the most paradigm shifting. Uh, finding my story, mm. knowing, what, knowing who I am. Right. Yeah. Here's the, here's the craziest part, right? We live with ourselves every single day. Right. We carry ourselves around yeah. like we're in our own bodies right now. And a lot of us have no idea who we are. Mm. Mm. And that's kind of a frightening, terrifying thing. It's like, who actually am I, even though I'm with myself every day? Because right. a lot of what we do can substitute, and a lot of the things that uh, occupy our mind and brain and emotional space. Yeah can keep us from ever dealing with who we actually are and our history and our past and our hurts. Um, so, you know, a lot of times, particularly for dudes, like we don't want to feel. Right. Uh, I would, re instead of feeling emotions uh, or sa of sadness or fear, I'd rather play video games mm. or I would rather uh, watch porn or right. I would rather play basketball right. or... You know what I'm saying? I'd Anything rather be to angry. Rather be angry. Yeah. I would rather distract myself than have to like, I'm going to be sad right now and I'm going to mm. cry and I'm yeah. going to feel my emotions. <laughs> like, that, like, 
what alternative you know right and that's why i also think the medical like the the medicine and world is like very prescriptive for anxiety and depression it's like here just take xanax take these pills because to actually have someone sit with them for the the duration of working through their emotional issues that are yeah. the core root that is too much it's it's mm. way easier to give pills so I, and i'm not crapping on anybody who takes right. pills and does that stuff it's just you know i think that's a, a whole nother conversation yeah. um uh but yeah i think people would rather take a, a faster quicker route through medication right. um and i Again, I need to just clarify this. Like, I think medication is good. Absolutely. Like, people, yeah. right? Let me just yeah. be clear. Because I, I know people are going to come at me after <laughs> this. Nah, like, but who a, are you? you know? Yeah, what you were saying is like, as a, as a cookie cutter, first and only right. option. Yeah. Like, medication yeah. isn't the only option, right. is all yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. I think it's both. I right. think it's, it's, you know, you got to work through the emotional stuff. But it's terrifying to work through. Yeah. The emotion stuff. So for me, what I found is I went and I met with Jeff yeah. and we did an eight hour session. Mm. Now this is, I think was very different than most people is because normally you go in for 45 minutes and talk with somebody, then you leave and next week you start over yeah. this because we did eight hours. We did four hour block one day and we did a second four hour block the next day. I got to dump out my entire life story. Mm to this guy and have him like guide me through it after that first eight hour session if you could describe the feeling that you had known what was it no known mm. our biggest fear in life is is to be known and rejected mm. that's why we don't tell anybody who we are right to be known and seen yeah. and then people say like it's all right like i love you mm. is the most powerful thing to be like it's okay to be who I am. Yeah. It's okay to have all my story. It's okay to have all of my regret and mess up and failures or fears and have it fully in front of somebody mm. and then them just be like, I'm here. I got you. I love you. I'm, I'm ready. Right? So that was one of the moments for me. I was like, oh my God, this guy changed my life. Man. Yeah. Who would sit with you for eight hours and listen to your story right. and your hurts mm. and be like, Great. Can't wait to see you next week. Man. You know? That's crazy. So, uh, yeah. That was known is probably the thing. Yeah. And that's what good therapy, I think, is. Is like, let me lead you to this place that you've never been to before yeah. emotionally, and I will walk with you and hold your hand through it and show you how, like, it's okay. You can get in this water. It's not going to, yeah. you're not going to drown. Um, and that's what we did. And I remember one of the most profound, um, exercises we did was this exercise where i broke my life up into five-year blocks so on a whiteboard we made little squares and each square represented five-year block of my life one yeah. to five five to ten ten to fifteen you know and so on up to my current age and he said i want you to think about that age bracket and write down the most hurtful experiences that you had in those age brackets but through pictures mm. and so i spent a little time drawing little things and he said, the reason why we're doing this is because our hurts in our past are the things that actually end up shaping us, mm. right? So for example, I just got my house broken into, right? Yeah. It changes the way that I think about my house now, right. probably forever. Because yeah. I'm like, no, nah, we need security cameras. We need that. Like if you look at how I move now with like, I got a, a pistol on me right, right now as we speak, <laughs> right. it's because of that, right? right? 
Andy, why do you carry a pistol? Well, this thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This why. Um, so uh, we walk through each thing. And man, I remember telling stories in there. And he was just like writing notes. Like, here's the things I'm seeing. And you start to realize who you are is deeply shaped by all of your experiences that you've had over the years. Mm. And the more you get hurt, the more pain you experience, the more you shell up, mm. the more you protect yourself. And the less and less you are connected to who you really are. Right. But that's why people say like kids are so free because right. they haven't been destroyed by life experiences yet, Jeez. but they just say what they think. They feel how they feel. They don't have any, you know, r reservations and how they feel They're like yeah. I'm upset. You know, right, right. I don't like you. You know, you're like, wow, this guy is pretty free. Um, so that man, that exercise showed me that through the pain and through the abandonment and through the things that I experienced in my life, it made me shell up. Yeah. And even made me as driven and determined as I am to be successful mm. because success was my way of proving that I was worth something. Ah. So I'm like, I'm going to be successful right? because I, it's hard for me to think that anyone really loves me or values me or that I'm worth anything. But if I have success, then I can at least show you, look, I got a gold plaque. Damn. Look, I got a house. Yeah. Look, I got a million album sales. I got, right. you know, and, um, I think whenever you look at somebody who's insanely successful, yeah. now what I ask, I'm like, there's trauma somewhere in there. Mm. And so, that, I mean, that exercise and that week with him, now after at that week of, you know, we spent the eight hours together doing all my stuff. Now, every time I met with him for our hour sessions, he's got so much context in my story and my past and my history that now those one hour sessions are powerful powerful yeah and we worked together for maybe like a year straight once mm. a week and some of my greatest discoveries about who i am as a man um becoming more vulnerable yeah being able to listen to what's going on in my heart made me a better man not for myself yeah. but for everyone around me my right. wife benefited my friendships benefited mm. my kids are going to benefit from the emotional work i've done inside of myself and most men believe that if we just provide, if we provide finance and protection and home, like then we've completed our job. Right. But our kids and our and our wives and our friends, they want us. Yeah. They want our heart, mm. like who we actually are. They want our emotional connection. Right. But the thing is, you can't give people what you don't have yourself. Right. Right. And a right. lot of us, this is, comes back to my point, is like we don't know who we are. We don't have ourselves because we won't allow ourselves to feel. We won't allow ourselves to be vulnerable. We won't allow ourselves to work through our sadness. Mm. We're constantly running from our sadness. We're constantly running from our own stories. And, um, you know, I think that that is like the thing I've learned the most over the last few years is yeah. the deeper I know myself, the, the more healthy I am for myself, the better I am for everyone, mm. everyone else. You know, one of the things that like put my life into perspective was my brother passing like mm. six weeks before we launched Cornerstone. And it was just the anxiety that I had about it. And then, you know, we're six weeks out. I'm speaking at a conference. I go out to dinner with uh, Mark Dever and it's at that dinner I get the phone call. Uh, from my mom who can't get a hold of him. I, 
I go back, try to call and find out. And I call my God brother and, you know, I'm sitting outside on the porch and I'm like, yo, my mom's trying to find Sam. Have you heard from Sam? And he's like, yeah, you know, Sam was in his car and he passed away. And so I'm like, yo, he passed out. Like, yo, is he cool? And he's like, nah, fam, he passed away. Like, Sam's dead. And it was like, like, I still like can go back to that time and like, Mm. you know, just feel like my knees shake and my body shake. And I remember just yelling like, he's dead, he's dead. And just crying, seeing all the folks look around me and that being like six weeks before the church launched and all the things that I was scared of, are folks going to come? Are they going to like how I preach? All of that stuff. It just put it into perspective, right? And yeah, death is one of those tricky things where it's like, I don't know, like it hits us all differently. And I know, I mean, you've dealt with yeah, something like that in your own like life. And I, one of the things that I found is like, I just never want anybody to feel the need to talk about that prematurely or out loud, like grief yeah. doesn't really have an expiration date. Like yeah, it's yeah. just as fresh. However many years later, um, yeah, grief's not a thing that I think we were made to do in public. So, um, well, I want to ask you a little bit yeah. about how you processed grief yeah. with your brother. And like, did you, did you continue with the church plant as yeah. planned or did, did it have any um, yeah, shift so, in it? Yeah. So I, um, and did you ever, I mean, did you ever do therapy oh, yeah, for that yeah, stuff? Yeah. And yeah. How do you feel like you dealt with it then? So that event changed me completely. Yeah. So, you know, it took place in 2015. So I was, I, I was 30, a couple of months away from my 31st birthday. And so getting ready to launch this church. And after that hit, like, I remember coming home and literally, like, just, just sitting in the dark, like, just sitting in the dark all day, not wanting to talk to anybody, right? Not want to talk to my wife, not folks at the church. I remember trying to read my Bible. And I got to Genesis chapter four, and I read the story of Cain and Abel. And how Cain murdered his brother. And I wanted to throw up, fam. Like, it just like, it just felt so sick. Like, I'm dealing with this pain that I lost mine. And here there's this story, this guy who kills his. And I just closed it. And I couldn't read my Bible, right? I couldn't pray. But I just still had this obligation of like, yo, but I got to be strong for people. People are expecting things Mm -hmm. of me. And so, you know, we moved ahead with the timeline and it was, you know, terrible on my marriage. Like, um, you know, we launched the church June 7th, 2015. So six weeks after he died. And from all outside perspectives, it was like a huge success. And I remember we come home that night and Chandra gets a phone call that her grandma died. Mm. And I only met her grandma once, so I really didn't know her. But it was like, we drive to Wisner, Louisiana to go to the funeral. And 
there's a room full of folks and it's like, you know, I go up to look at her body and I lose it. I just start mm. bawling and people are like, oh, what's up with him? Did he know her? Yeah. It's like, nah, yeah, yeah, I really didn't know her, but I started bawling and I was so unhelpful then that like my wife couldn't even grieve her grandmother because I hadn't done the work on the inside. And so now mm. she had to be, and so I saw how she was hurt. And so it was a point where it's like, man, Trip at the time and Rich had to just sit me down and be like, yo, dog, we got this, man. You've got to like- Work through it. You gotta work through it. And so I started to see a counselor, uh, <laughs> this dude, Rick Petronella, and I sit down with him in his office and I describe like, what's it? It's like, yo, I've been an optimist my whole life. Like, I can count on two hands the number of bad days that I've had in my entire lifetime. And now within the course of these past few months, like I cannot count the good days that I've had. My wife is married to a different person. Mm. Man, I can't sleep. I don't want to be around people. It's so hard. And meanwhile, the church is taking off. And he just sat back and said, you're depressed. And that was the first time I had words for it. And he was like, He's like, yo, you've got to sleep. And so we tried all the things and he's like, all right, take melatonin. And if this don't put you down, then we're going to get baby. you something, <laughs> something stronger. So I did that and uh, a natural like herb that you could get at the store. And it just helped to change my disposition. And I saw him weekly for the course of the next year and just worked through depression and grief and i saw him and my friend uh asia duncan she was like uh counseling she's like i'll help you work through all this grief so then she started seeing me so i'm like you know i'm with this dude and i'm with her in the course of that next year just changed my life same thing the mm, therapy tight. yeah so do you feel like you uh like your default to grief was to just push it down work. and go to work work yeah. i gotta work like yeah I just have to work, right? Because it's like, nah, people need me, fam. Like, people need hope. And I've got to give, mm. give hope. And I was, you know, I was traveling down hope as if it was a highway. Nah, we just got to go straight. All right, hope, 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 hope. And I was scared to be honest, right? Because I thought that was like a parallel street, right? Like, so I can either be honest with how I feel, I'm not hopeful. I don't want to be around you. I don't really think that God is good now. I don't think things will get any better. Mm-hmm. Or I could be hopeful. Like, nah, God is good. Things are going to get better. I'm going to preach these things. And I think through all of that, what I learned was, nah, honesty and hope, they intersect, yo. Like, mm-hmm. you can be at the intersection of them and at an intersection, you're on both streets, fam. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm honest. Like, this sucks. This is the worst thing that has ever happened to me yeah. in my entire life. And I do, it feels pitch black and dark. And I don't know if I'll ever get any better. I never want to celebrate another birthday after 32, because that was a year that he, like that. But then it was hope. All right, but this isn't the end like there's there's still more and and was it a twin brother 
No, he oh, was a same. year older. Oh, but it's not the same birthday. No, 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 okay. no. But he, <laughs> he just didn't died at 32. That summer I turned 31. And then the next year it was like, this is the year that he died. And so you just like feel bad. How can I have a bunch of folks over and rejoice in this when he died at this age and yeah. his kids were five, three, and one. And so the two younger ones aren't even going to really remember his presence. Like, how can I? And it, it just put me in such a weird, dark place. Yeah, I had a, a similar experience. So I lost my mom a year and a half ago and she was battling with cancer. Uh, we, I found out, I got off a tour and I found out she got, got diagnosed. And then for the course of that year, uh, she moved in with my sister out in Chicago. She lived there with her. And then I got a phone call when I was in LA that things had gotten bad. Um, so I literally, I was in a studio session. I was like, yo, I gotta go. And I just took the first flight to Chicago. I got there at like four or five in the morning. I took an Uber like an hour outside of the city. So I got there around 6 a.m. When I got there, I walked in and um, uh, my mom was on a bed with like a, a breathing tube in her, you know. Mm. And what I remember is the phone call I had with her a couple of days before is like I was on the phone with my sister. I might have been on the phone with her. But it was like. Hey, can I talk to mom? You know, yeah. and it was like, oh, the doctor's coming in. Like, we we have to, you know. And I was like, all right, it was hung up. We couldn't talk, you know. Yeah. And so it was like a a quick end to that. Me and my mom always had a great relationship because she she raised me. Right. But um, yeah. So I remember getting there, and she, you know, she couldn't breathe, uh, and she like kept on opening her eyes. She'd come to for a second and look around, and then she would fall, you know, kind of back asleep. Yeah. And come to. And she's trying to communicate with sign language because we know sign language because my right. my sister's deaf, but she couldn't really talk mm. and just like her body's weak. And what she had is she got an infection while she was having chemo. Mm. So, you know, you basically have no immune system and then she got C. diff in her. So um, basically, I remember like I had to wear all the masks, all the covering, everything to go in to see her. Yeah. And when I went to go see her... um. She couldn't recognize it was me because I had the mask and everything on and all that. So I finally just took the mask off, like, hey, mom, it's me. And I remember she looked at me and, like, she gave me this smile, yeah. like, knew I was there. Mm. And then she, you know, would go back to sleep. So it was like the biggest blessing to me to know that she saw me and knew I was there with yeah. her in that time. Mm. Um, so, anyways, uh, you know, we talked to the doctor and he was like, yo, this is an unstoppable freight train. Like mm. she's going to pass sometime this morning. Yeah. So me and my sisters who were there had to basically sign the do not resuscitate, the DNR, Damn. which is like, we know she's going to pass. And when she does, don't bring them in here to legally try to shock her, bring her back to life, like let her go. And that was the moment when we were like, we need to decide on that together. Yeah. We were like, yes. You know, and then it was like, then we all lost it. We walked to the side of the bed and just were like, it's, we're saying goodbye now, you know? Yeah. 
And I remember I just held my two sisters under my arms left and right. And I remember my, I was wearing like a North Face shirt and my sister was crying on my shirt. Like the mascara is just on the, and I was like, that's the end of that shirt, you know, like. <laughs> God. But I remember that sp specifically because I remember being covered in that afterwards. And I just held them and we stood there by the side of the bed and wished my mom goodbye. And the doctor had to come in. Uh, they did a thing where they took the tube out and just like let her body naturally do what it does and it she passed and we were there when they checked her yeah, were they in the room while they we stepped out for them to take that out oh man but then we came back in for her final minutes yeah and i got to pray over her and read her scripture and like basically held held her while she had her last breaths yeah and um you know when the doctor came in like super cold like i mean the guy i could have you know could have thrown that guy off a roof right. but just like you know says she says she's gone and everything and uh you know we lost it and yo the nurses there were so incredible yeah. like the nurse came and like just hugged me and like mm. held me and like i got the chance to like cry with her i don't know this woman from <laughs> anywhere but she was like this is hard and they were so incredible and it's crazy man like you get your mom's stuff, everything she was wearing on the way in before they stripped her down, yeah. given to you in a trash bag, and you, you're holding everything your mom was wearing, her cell phone, everything, and you walk out the front door, and someone at the reception desk goes, have a nice day, you know? They have no idea Dang. what you just experienced. And you step outside to a sunny outdoor Cars driving by, everyone's living life. They have no idea the experience you just had. Yeah. And it's like, all right. Like, the darkest day I've had ever mm. thus far in my life is now met with the fact that life is just continuing on and going on. Right. And no one else, even around you, even knows, you know? So you go to sit down to try to get some food and, hey guys, how you guys doing today? Can I get you started with some drinks? And Welcome you're just to like, I'm I don't even know where I am right now so Dang. um yeah so that was like a pretty life-changing experience um but I had been going to therapy already and so I had begun the process of talking through my emotions right being vulnerable so I feel like I really had some tools, tools. to help work yeah. through that grief and the grief uh, I learned a lot about grief mm. how to grieve and right. I, it's really interesting to me that we have like sex ed in yeah. school but we don't have like grief education anywhere and if making life is definitely going to happen for sex ed like losing life is definitely going to happen Damn. and i think we need to prepare people mm. for loss not only for themselves but also for people around them because yeah two things i realize is we don't know how to grieve yeah um because we never heard and got tools and permission to grieve or to cry or to people just like, all right, going back to work on Monday, I lost my mom. You know, yeah. it's like, fam, there's a whole nother right. route to that. And then two is people don't know how to be there for other people that are grieving because they feel so awkward and uncomfortable. Right, right. So it's like, uh, hit me if you need anything. And yeah. it's like, I'm not thinking about a, a like, I'm not going to make a spreadsheet. <laughs> you know what I'm right. saying? Like, I need you. This is what I realized. And we can go on this you know for days but it's like the best way people could have helped me in that time is like alex medina he did this for me he said 
hey, bro, I'm thinking about what you're going to need. Yeah. Because he took the time to stop for yeah. a second, put himself in my shoes and think about what I might be experiencing and the things I might need and said, here's what I can do to help you. Right. <laughs> and he goes, I would love to be able to design because he used what he had, which is yeah. the gift of design, right. to say, um, can I design the obituary and can I design the cards for the thing, you know, for the yeah. funeral and do all that? And I was like, bro. And people please. have no clue just how helpful those to take something off your are. plate. Yeah. Because it, but it takes an emotional energy to sit and think and feel right. what someone else is feeling and then think about how you can offer that help. Yeah. Um, so learning about grief. Yeah through the loss of my mother, learning about myself through the loss of my, I don't know, the idea of myself and going to therapy. Yeah. And then three is getting married. Married yeah. would be like, you know, uh, another, learning how to live with somebody else, learning how to be emotionally available, uh, learning about my own flaws and mistakes in HD from yeah. another person, um, learning how to love in mm. a bigger capacity. So I think those three things therapy grief and marriage were the biggest changes in my life in the last yeah. five years So those three things have changed who I am as a person in a lot of ways and even in, in my career because loss and learning how to deal with grief has also made me okay with the idea of things changing. <laughs> right. Right. And like, yeah. I've, I've seen, I've held my mother as she dies. Yeah. Like, it's okay if, if I, if I wrap up my rap career and I don't rap anymore, or if it blows up and I get another 10 yeah. years or if it, what it's like. I've I feel like I can walk through anything now, right? And I can be there for other people mm. in, a, in a better way. Two, marriage has changed the way I think about my family, like how like all of this stuff that we build our identity on, our successes, our followers, or whatever. Like, hey, if you were a big TikTok person, you know, like <laughs> guess what? Like TikTok's gone, buddy. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like. Oh no, I had a million followers on TikTok. Like, who am I if I don't have this? Or Instagram, right. or any of these things can get outdated or changed, or your career, you know, can you can get fired, or maybe right. nobody likes your art anymore. All that can change. But one thing I'm see realizing is like uh what my boy told me, uh uh Jay J uh Justin Forsett, um, he was like, the reason why I go home and spend time with my wife, even though I'm an NFL player, is because my NFL career is going to end. Right. He said, my relationship with my wife isn't. Right. And he would always keep that perspective. Like, I know this is only for a few years. Right. And I was like, damn, you know, that's such a healthy perspective to like- It really is. Don't sacrifice the long term for this like short term thing. Mm. Yeah. And then I think therapy has obviously just changed who I am all around. So I think therapy has made me more okay with like um, who I am and what I create. Right. And like accepting- some people are going to love it. Some people aren't going to love right. it. And it doesn't matter yeah. necessarily. Um, like it has no bearing on who I am as a person. Right. You know, like yeah. those people aren't going to be at my funeral. Right. So I think it just has given me this maturity and creating a little more confidence. And it's also actually given me more material. Right. Yeah. To, to create with. So um, 
I don't know where this career is going to go. Right. I feel like I've literally this past year, you know, I was supposed to drop another project and then my mom passed, mm-hmm. you know? And so I was like, I'm not dropping. Mm-hmm. Probably, I took right. all of 2019 off. And then 2020, I was on tour and COVID hit. So, but I feel like over this last year, I've been making the best music of my life. That's dumb. And I'm only getting better. And I'm like, so who knows? This thing could go on forever. Right. Um, not forever, but you know, significantly longer. But, um, yeah, I think I'm just a little more prepared for whatever comes my way because of that stuff. The, the internal work that I've done, I, I feel like I walk around, maybe not with less fear, yeah, but less afraid of the fear. Right. I don't know if that makes yeah. sense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, fear can happen, sadness can happen, and I'll be able to let it come and deal with it yeah. and work through it. That's excellent, man. So. Dope. Yeah, yo, any last piece, last words of advice for people that are creatives that may like find Um, themselves in a spot where they're just scared to put the stuff out well for other people that are creating like you said in the the underdog talk that i thought was helpful was you know two things that i hear from creatives all the time uh or just people who want to create things and put them out is um what if i put something out nobody listens or nobody cares and and normally i just say like well nobody's listening right now (laughs) Right. like you, it's sitting on your hard drive or on your easel or whatever right. like just put it out yeah. and uh and yeah at least at least when something's out there's a chance for people to like it there's right. no chance for anybody to like it if it's sitting you know yeah. on your hard drive and then two is the other fear is like but what if no what if i put it out and it's not good and it's right. like well then just make something else yeah just keep going right. um I don't think we get the iPhone 11 right. unless we get the iPhone 1. Right. And I think people are willing to grow with you and change with you. Yeah. And like, you know, there's so many stories of, I mean, Michael Jordan, right? Six yeah. six NBA championships. Yeah. Eight years right. without a championship. Right, right, right. Um, You know, because he just continued to up his game and change things. Oh, maybe we need to change front office. Maybe we need to change coaching. Maybe yeah. we need to get other players. It's like- when you create and put out, then you actually have an opportunity to test the market, learn, change, adapt, and grow. Yeah. You know, if you're trying to make, you know, damn, like Kendrick's album, damn, on your first swing, like you got to go through section 80 and you got to go through all the other albums to get to that one. Right. Uh, But if there's a fear of failure and a fear of people not liking it like you're you're never going to release anything yeah. you're not going to drop anything mm-hmm. and you're not going to you're going to rob yourself of the opportunity to put something out and learn yeah. and grow and to get better yeah so i just you know i just say man go create and here's the other thing we're like we really are self-centered as 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 artists like it's not that big of a deal right, right. <laughs> like, let me just be honest with you like there's 5,000 songs released on Spotify a day. Yeah. You really think like if move. something comes out and like it doesn't go over well, that you'd be like, dude, I'm just going to get made fun of relentlessly. Right. It's like nobody's even going to notice. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, nah, that's good. Just yeah. keep going. Just put it out. And uh, enjoy the process because yeah. that's all you really have is the enjoyment of creating. You know, like, enjoy it, love it, put it out and be like, I don't care if anybody else likes this. I like this myself. Right, yeah. And I'm going to keep doing it because I like it. Ah, that's dope. Ah, that's excellent, man. That's great. Good. This is fantastic. All right, that's all we've got. Yo, once again, y'all, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I'm telling y'all, I don't take it lightly. I read every comment. Uh, I'm not above 
recommendations on how to improve. So, yo, if there's something that you liked, give me a shout out. If there's something that you feel like could be better, give me a shout out as well too. Continuing to try to improve this. I'm excited about the guests that we have uh, lined up over the course of the next few weeks. Uh, so as always, yo, continue to like, comment, subscribe, share. Uh, and remember, every new day begins in the dark. Uh, so regardless of what your day feels like now, whether the sun is shining bright and blinding or you feel like it's pitch black, uh, there is hope. Hope isn't a myth, right? It's real. It's out there. Uh, but it is a miracle. It's something special that comes to us. So if you have it right now, don't take it for granted. Don't hoard it. Yo, share it with somebody else. All right, I'll see y'all next week. Peace.